Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Well, thanks for joining us again here in the StoryCraft Cafe. We've got a fantastic show for you today. It's a double header with Deepa Varadarajan and Christina Dodd. We've got two different interviews. They're going to run back to back and really get those creative juices flowing for you. There's nothing like hearing from someone who's in the trenches and making it happen and you know we all have a little different process and it's fun to hear what works for for some people and you know what might not work for them and you know then to take a look at your own process and see what you can borrow from other people and you know what hints you can learn from it's always great to to get other input on your creative process thank you to dabble as always for sponsoring this episode if you want to take your writing to the next level visit dabblewriter.com and uh, get started writing your novel or rewriting your novel dabble is the very best Thanks for joining us, and uh, be sure to visit at storycraft.cafe so that you can be aware when we have live author interviews going on, and you can join in the conversation over YouTube, or uh, or and uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app, and never miss an episode. Hang on tight, here comes the show. And we are live in the StoryCraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. Today, I am super excited to have Deepa Varadarajan on the show with me. And she has a fantastic new book. It's called Late Bloomers, and it debuted yesterday, if you're listening to the live feed here. What an exciting time. New book releases are always so exciting. Uh, Welcome, Deepa. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, Deepa, one thing that I love to ask new people uh, sometimes to kind of uh, get the the conversation juices started is what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Yeah, it's interesting. I came to um, realizing that I wanted to be a writer somewhat late, I think. I, I really wasn't the, one of those people who always knew she wanted to be a writer from a very young age. Uh, And in fact, it was something that I didn't really start seriously thinking about until I was in law school. Um, But if I do look back on my childhood, I I was an imaginative kid. And I I especially think when I was faced with unpleasant tasks, like cleaning my room or something like that, I seem to recall coming up with stories to sort of make it all go faster. Uh, And so, yeah, yeah. Where did you attend law school? I went to Yale for law school. Okay. Um, I've met a number of writers who began their professional careers in law. And I I always uh, find one of the things I find most fascinating is the circuitous route that that most of us take uh, in our journey to become 
you know, published writers, storytellers. And it's, it's very rarely have I met, uh, an author who said, I only, I I've only always wanted to be a writer and I had a singular focus and purpose. Most of the time, you know, we, we venture over here, we collect some life experience in this thing. And then we meet new people and we collect some more experience there. And, you know, this kind of story gumbo, you know, forms in our hearts and minds and it comes out, you know, and some, so um, do you see any connection between your study of the law and being a, a, a fiction writer? Well, I can, I can understand why there are quite a few lawyers who have turned writers or lawyers who, who like to write, because I yeah. think, you know, these are two professions that, uh, tend to draw people who are interested in the, in the written language or interested sure. in words, right? Have an affinity for language. Uh, and I would say when you are a lawyer, especially if you're a litigator, you are going to be writing briefs a lot of the time. And there's a section of every brief called the fact section. And that's your chance to sort of tell the story of your client's case. And you'll try to do it in a way that generates the most empathy from the reader, the judge. And so there is sort of a storytelling element to that, I think. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I can see why, you know, there, there are people who are lawyers may be drawn to being writers and, and why, uh, people who are lawyers might be, might be good at it. Uh, also I will say in law school, law professors love to pepper you with hypotheticals. So I'm a law <laughs> professor now actually. And so, um, you know, you love throwing out hypotheticals to your students and, in fact, when I am writing stories um, as part of my process, you know, you're engaged in this, what if, what if I did right. this, what if I did that to the character? So there is this, you know, you're engaged in these sort of hypotheticals as you're writing a story. So, right, right. Um, did, did you say that you were teaching law now? Yeah, I'm a, I am a, a law professor. Yes. Oh, nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, how is there a parallel between, uh, you know, other than what you said about the, the love of the hypothetical, um, is, is there something that um, comes from teaching um, that kind of opens new pathways of thought and imagination? I mean, anything, anytime you're kind of engaged in the world and you're around other people, I think that's always an opportunity to get ideas for stories. Right. So yeah. Uh, and, and in particular, I'm I'm around a lot of young people. I work at a very vibrant place where you encounter you know, lots of different types of people. So I think those interactions are always sort of helpful and just kind of getting your mind thinking about different kind of situations that people are in. And so in that sense, I think it's been helpful. Right. Gotcha. Um, your new book that just released yesterday, Late Bloomers, uh, is this the first novel that you had ever written? Yeah, it's the first novel I've ever written. It took me a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a lot of first novels do. Yeah. Yes, you're you're sort of engaged in the exercise of figuring out how to write a novel. Right. As you're exactly. writing a novel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're halfway through and go, I don't think this is how novels work. And <laughs> do a lot of backtracking. Exactly. Throw a lot of pages away, do a lot of rewriting. Right. right. Well, um, I am I'm fascinated utterly fascinated by the uh, the beginnings of novels because in in uh, in an artistic sense uh, a novel is um, similar to other uh, 
artistic pursuits, except it, it holds a very unique and special place in that you are the creator of, of worlds of, of people inside your mind. And in one moment, the, the life of late bloomers did not exist in any form or fashion. And then either a character walks onto the stage of your mind or you start playing the what if game, or maybe you observe something in your own family or read a news article or whatever it is. And then the, you know, all the synapses start firing and then the story does exist. And then it's your job as the writer to kind of dig that thing out and excavate it and polish it up until, you know, late bloomers is held in your hands. Um, what was that very first moment of inspiration that later became late bloomers? Yeah. So, I mean, all of the characters and situations in this book are you know, very much a product of my imagination and, um, that all that, but I would say the sort of very first spark uh, yeah. came about many, many years ago. Um, about 20 years ago, I was uh, dating somebody whose parents had recently divorced. He was Indian American. His parents had recently divorced and his dad was beginning to try online dating. And I thought it was this really brave thing to sort of put yourself out there and try something new later in life. Uh, and at the same time, I was in my 20s, was having relationship issues, like a lot of people in their 20s. Right. And all of these things sort of made me think, you know, I've never read a story before about recently divorced uh, Indian, a recently divorced Indian couple, my parents' age and their adult children, all sort of going through romantic turmoil at the same time. And I thought, you know, I think I'd like to read that kind of a story. You know, maybe yeah. I could, maybe I could think about writing a story like that. The, yeah. Uh and the other thing I, I should also say is I, I, I knew, I knew that um, I, I knew that I wanted to set that story in um, a uh, uh, a small university town in Texas, similar to where I grew up, and uh, that's the kind of town that I haven't seen depicted very often uh, in in fiction, especially stories about immigrant families. Uh, Texas is is such a great setting um, for a story about uh, an immigrant family. It's a it's a it's a non typical setting. Uh, a lot of I've read lots of novels about immigrant families, and they take place in New York or maybe San Francisco or, or Los Angeles. Some of maybe the 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 hubs uh, of of immigration in a lot of senses. Um, this this is kind of an atypical uh, setting, which I love because um, it really adds texture and uh, adds uh, something of um, of the uh, the sort of uh, I, I I keep wanting to say like out of place, but not really out of place. That's the of finding a new place is maybe a better. Um, it, there, there's a lot going on here is what I'm getting at when, and the setting really adds to that. Um, uh, wh what was it like being, uh, you know, an immigrant family in, in a part of the country that's, you know, not, not really known for these types of, uh, of, of immigrant families to live in? Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting when you asked me before about, you know, when I knew that I wanted to become a writer. And one of the things I've always 
been as a reader my entire, you know, since very, since I was very young. Yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, when I was growing up, I was one of few Indian American kids in my school and sort of, you feel like an outsider. And I, I think like many outsiders, I was very drawn to reading fiction. I found a lot of comfort in reading fiction. Uh, and when I, when, is, when I was growing up uh, in the 80s and 90s in this town, uh, we had a, we had a very tight knit Indian American community. Uh, at first it was just a few families over time, it's certainly grown. And, and I should say the town has changed a lot that I grew up in the town has changed a lot in the past few decades. But, you know, in this book too, there, there is, you know, an Indian community in, in, you know, represented in the book. And, and so, you know, that was a very important part of my, my growing up and my experience. Gotcha. Um, the, this this story is not an analog of your family. Um, it, do I understand that that your parents have not gone through a situation like this? Um, do you ever? Uh, yeah, I, I think something that a lot of authors go through is people, um, you know, question you. Is this is this your family? You know, um, that how do you reflect things that that you are conscious of? and uh, without necessarily being a mirror to your own life. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. The the couple at the center of this story, Suresh and Letha, they have recently divorced after 36 years of uh, an unhappy arranged marriage, right? And they're each trying to start over. They're trying new things. A Suresh is... Uh, trying online dating for the first time. It's not going how he would have expected. You know, Letha, she has her first job outside the home at a university library, which she loves. Uh, and um, uh, a professor there asked her out on a date, which is this very new experience for her because again, she she had an arranged marriage very young. She hasn't had the experience of dating. And so, um, you know, so the couple that's sort of the the center of the story or the recently divorced couple at the center of the story has this kind of background. Uh, and they have two adult children, Priya and Nikesh, who are you know, struggling to adjust to these changing family dynamics. And they're also dealing with their own very messy relationship issues, which they're hiding from their parents. And so you know, there's a lot of uh, secret keeping and discovering secret sides of one another in this, in this novel. Um, in my own life, my my parents actually had an arranged marriage too, but but unlike the couple in this story, theirs was a very happy one. They've been you know, married for almost five decades, uh, and so it's it's so it's very different, you know. Um, yeah. But kind of going back to what we were talking about before, this idea of the hypothetical, the what if. I mean, in some ways, you know, there have definitely been times in my life where I've thought, oh, you know, what if what if this had gone a different way? You know, what if they hadn't right. been compatible match, you know? And so, you know, in some ways this is sort of an exercise, this is sort of an imaginary alternate path, this what if, right? right. Uh, so, you know, it very much is a, a product of my imagination, but at the same time, I wrote it. So all of the right. characters are me and none of the characters are me, right? So <laughs> right. exactly. I think, I think an author is always in all of the characters and simultaneously not in all of the characters. So. Right, right. Um, the, the idea of arranged marriages is a fun um, trope, if you will, to play with, uh, because like you said, in your own parents, they they have an arranged marriage and they're very happy. Uh, and 
I think the the initial reaction is uh, arranged marriages. There, there's no love in it. There's no, you know, kind of magical kismet kind of thing. And we all know people that are very happy. I, I've known a couple that that said that they were so happy for their arranged marriage because they didn't have to go through all of the the typical dating and all of the you know uh you know ups and downs of all the emotions and all that so i i don't i don't know what uh uh you know how that works for most people but for for some people it works out perfectly well but but this idea of that is a fun thing to play with uh in fiction uh have you had much response from readers who uh you know didn't understand the concept or um like how how fun has it been to kind of bring some of these concepts into the the larger american culture if you will well i think what's what's interesting is i think whatever the origins of a marriage however two people come together right marriages are work marriages are hard um and when a marriage ends after going through decades with somebody, it's a very, very challenging thing. And so I think what I have heard from readers and what I've been happy to hear from readers is that even though this is a story about an Indian American family, the themes and what what the characters are going through in this novel are things that I think are relatable to a much wider audience, right? Um, The things that people are going through in this book, whether it's divorce or aging or seeing your family members change in ways that you did not expect and you're having trouble dealing with. Um, Parenting, parenting young children, parenting adult children, all of it's very challenging. And so I think, you know, even though that situation of arranged marriage is unique to this couple and, and, and the culture that they came from, I think what they're going through in this book is something that is relatable much more broadly. Right, right. And I love the fact that you weave so much humor uh, in this book. And um, there's something to be said for moments of levity in in stories where you're dealing with very serious subject matter. Um, you know, sometimes it's uh, a, a thriller or, you know, some sort of uh, crime novel or something where you take the the reader's adrenaline and you just have it pegged out all the time. And then you offer moments of levity to kind of let that, that emotional toll kind of drop back down. So that then when you, you know, hit, hit them with something serious, it, it feels that much more poignant because you've, you've let the, the reader experience the full range of emotion. Um, what does humor and levity mean to you, especially in a, in a story that, that could take on such serious uh, connotations? Yeah, I've always been drawn as a reader to books that have humor in it, right? The books that are able, books and stories that are able to combine these elements of humor and heartbreak. Uh, And so it was really important for me as a writer, I I wanted to incorporate those elements of humor in this novel. Um, But as you say, that balance is tricky to find because there are serious topics in this novel, things like divorce or dealing with aging and, um, you know, dealing with past regrets in life and, and coming to terms with that. And so I think it's important to sort of find that right balance uh, you know, of humor and tragedy and, and trying to figure out what that balance is, uh, is something that I, that for me took 
a lot of drafts and revising and re rewriting and, and trying to find that right, that right balance of the two. Yeah. You, you said earlier that, uh, that you had worked, uh, quite a while on this novel. Uh, when did you first begin with the idea and start kind of, you know, seeing if those ideas would, uh, morph into a, a larger story? Yeah. So I, I started, I started with the character of Suresh. And when I first started, it was many, many years ago. Um, you know, at the time I had just graduated from law school, I was, uh, working at a law firm and I, um, uh, realized that I wanted to take a fiction writing class for the first time. So I, I started my first sort of, uh, creative writing course. Um, and, uh, this was one of my first, uh, for one of my first workshops, I, I brought in a few pages about this character, Suresh, um, sort of an older, recently divorced Indian man who was starting to, uh, you know, dip his toe into the waters of online dating and, and, was sort of had this complicated relationship with his daughter who didn't approve of his uh, online dating efforts and still had these sort of lingering feelings for his ex-wife who had decided to divorce him. So I started sort of started playing around with that character quite a long time ago. But when I started, I thought it was going to be a short story. Um, I, I didn't know at the time it was going to be a novel. And in fact, I I'm not sure at the very beginning I had the confidence to think, oh, I can write a novel. So I was sort of starting with the idea of a short story. I worked on it for a while and I, I couldn't quite get it to work as a short story. So I, I put it away and, you know, started doing, working on other things and then kind of took it out again a few years later because I hadn't forgotten about this character. And then at that point I started thinking a lot more about, you know, the daughter and the ex-wife and I started thinking about them a lot and started hearing their voices. And so I started, you know, trying to write a chapter here or there in their points of view. And, and that's, that's really the point where I, where I knew, okay, this is, this is going to be a novel. This is, this is not a short story. This is going to be a novel. Um, but it was a lot of, you know, stopping and starting and putting it away and for, for a while and taking it back out and, you know, just really kind of just feeling my way in the dark, trying to figure out how to write a novel. Did did you um, at, at at some point in writing the novel uh, when the world and the characters really become formed in your mind? Um, it, it's like walking around with with these other people in your head all the time, and it it can uh, it can be comforting almost that you have these people that only you know about, and and you kind of form a relationship with them, and and. At some point, it it's almost um, melancholy to finish the novel because then their story's finished, or you know, at least this chapter's finished. You know, whatever. Um, when I, I guess, when did you really unlock what the core of the story was going to be and clearly see where the story was going? Was was there a moment? Was there something that kind of unlocked that for you where you're like, okay, now I know how this finishes. I, I know how to write it out now. Yeah, I don't know that it was just one moment. I think with each of the characters, each of the four characters, 
uh, I had those sort of aha unlocking moments like, oh, I really, I really get you now. You know, I know exactly who you are. Um, and so I think there were, there was not sort of one single aha moment. I think there were, were different ones along the way. Uh, and so, you know, that's the other thing about writing a book over sort of a on and off over a long period of time, as you reach the end of the process and you're trying to rethink when, when did I, when did I realize this? When did I realize that you're trying to almost, you know, reverse engineer your process. Right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think back if there was one overarching aha moment and I'm not sure I can pinpoint one. I think, I think there were a bunch of sort of aha moments along the way for each of these characters yeah. for me. How did you think about what would be a satisfying ending for each of these characters? And was there one character in specific that this character needed to have a, a satisfying ending and then the rest of the characters would just kind of fall in line wherever they are? Or was there a conscious effort that each one needed to, to have something? Well, not to give too much away, but I, I think I knew. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to speak in vague right. terms because I don't want to give too much of the book away. I think I knew that I I didn't want to sort of end it with like a neat little bow on each of the characters' lives, right? Because right? I don't really think that that's the way life works. And so at some level, it, it is a little open-ended for each of the characters in the sense of what are they going to do next? Um, you know, how are they going to continue on their path of reinvention? Uh, and so I, and I, that was intentional, you know, there, there are definitely things that are resolved by the end, but, but there's also, you know, you, you kind of leave in the reader's mind, this element of, oh, I wonder what they're doing next. You know, it's sort of not wrapped up with a neat little bow. And, right. and I, and I knew, I think quite early on that, that, that was the way I was going to leave it. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think, but but I will also say, I think one of the things I knew that was sort of important to me was sort of having that image of the grandparent-grandchild relationship factor into the end in an important way. Yeah. And, I, and I think part of the reason for that is I think there's something very unique about that relationship, the grandparent-grandchild relationship, because it's almost as if a person can take all of these things that they have learned in the course of parenting, right? Their regrets, the things they wish they'd done differently, the things they wish they had paid more attention to when it was happening and enjoyed. And they can sort of channel all of that into this new grandparent-grandchild relationship, where in some ways they really do get to sort of reinvent themselves and be on this clean slate with this new little person that doesn't have right. a history with them, right? And so given that so much of this book is about that idea of reinvention and is it sort of too late to change, is it ever too late to sort of change your life and, 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 and think about how to reorient and reinvent your life, given that so much of this book is about that for each of the characters. I knew that I kind of, one of the final images, I wanted it to, to be about that grandparent grandchild relationship. One of the other things that I really love about this book is the way that you, um uh display uh the ideas of tradition um versus um you know modernity or the the family stepping into the modern era versus the tradition that you bring along with you and um you know the the uh the younger generation uh 
how they 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 sort of kind of depend on the the parents anchor to tradition and you know the the way that they kind of react in ways that you um you know that, that kind of goes against a lot of what they you know think that they you know think about life or whatever um this this thing about your your parents being anchored in something and and even if if we stray from that a little bit we still depend on them being anchored and does that make sense at all like there's this family connection that that you sort of depend on and i love how you you know sort of play around with that um what was was there a conscious effort to kind of play with those ideas or uh, how did that come about yeah there is this sort of interplay of you know tradition and continuing in sort of these unchanged ways, but also having the flexibility to sort of reinvent and try new things. And so there's that sort of back and forth throughout the book. And in fact, Priya, the daughter character, she's having a really hard time with this idea of her parents changing right. in these ways that she did not expect. A much harder time, in fact, than her brother, who is, you know, more understanding in ways of, about his parents' post-divorce life, post-divorce lives, or there he's sort of cheering them on in ways that she's not. You know, she's right. having a lot more trouble with. Yeah. And so, you know, even within the two of them, there there are these different reactions to this idea of adhering to the past and being unchanging, or letting these people that you love in your life, your family members, evolve in these ways that you didn't expect. You know. Well, Late Bloomers is available everywhere now. You can go grab it at your local bookstore, or we'll put links uh, in the show notes where you can grab it from Amazon uh, or Audible. The The audiobook came out yesterday as well, right, Deepa? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Have you Have you gotten to listen to any of it yet? I have not yet. I, I will definitely, I'm definitely going to, but I'm still sort of... It's been such an exciting world when my publication day was yesterday. So I'm sort of just like catching my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, we're going to put links uh, in the show notes where uh, folks can go grab the book. I love this book. I highly recommend it to everyone. Uh, Deepa, if people are just discovering you and, uh, you know, want to follow along your journey, uh, is there a place online where they can uh, connect with you and follow along? Sure. My uh, website is deepavaradarajan.com. Uh, my first and last name, all one word, deepavaradarajan.com and uh, all the information, my uh, social media links, all those things are there. So um, yeah. Great. We'll link that up as well. Uh, Deepa, this has been so much fun uh, chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner, and today I am so excited to have Christina Dodd on the show with me. She's got a brand new book. It's called Forget What You Know, and I tell you what, Christina, I always love when a new book comes out because you do things uh, in a way that no one else is doing out there today, and I, I just love what you bring to I started to say to the genre, but they're they're really your books kind of straddle so many genres, and I I love that so much. Uh, so welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm always glad to visit with you. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, so Christina, 
I've thought of a a question that I've been asking some people lately that's been kind of a lot of fun. Um, in your writing career, and and you have written a number of books. Yes. Um, and, and what's what's the number these days? About sixty, and and then short stories and novellas too. So wow. Um, over that time, and especially when you were getting started, um, you know, a lot of new writers get advice from other people that have been down the road before them. Um, is there a piece of writing advice that sticks out in your mind? Maybe it was a piece of great advice that you look back and you say, Oh, I'm so happy that someone told me this, or maybe it's so terrible that you just kind of laughingly look back and go, why would anyone you know, take that advice? Does, does anything like that stick out at you? Well, okay. The, the good advice is Nora Roberts, and she says, "Put your butt in the chair and write." And one hundred percent, it does better than Nora Roberts. But the bad one, honestly, some guy came on Twitter one time and said, "If you don't write every day, you're not a real writer." And by then, I was, you know, twenty-five years into the career, and it was like, um, no, that's ridiculous. Absolutely, you know, right. Absurd. And the thing I that I tell new writers, and I. I anybody is as long as you're getting words on the page that's the right way to write you um you're doing it right i mean absolutely i the way i've written has changed over the years and i have friends who write all and we all write very differently and we're all very successful writers um do what feels good for you and as long as you get those words out there then you're okay and if you and if you can get from the beginning to the end, they really some writers, you know, really at the beginning concentrate on the first start of the book and can't get any farther. You just have to keep writing. Well, you know that that advice of you know write every day, it sounds like good advice, and it and and even sounds um, uh, it, it sounds like well that's building good habits, and habits are good to you know especially positive habits are are good to get into. Um, you know, that on the surface, it's it's like, well, why wouldn't that be good advice? But, it, you know, life doesn't exactly work that way, does it? No, life doesn't work like that. Um, you have parents who get sick. You have children who get sick. Um, you have to go and spend the whole day at school with your kids. I mean, you know, it. real life is not like that. You can't. Yeah, right. that. And you have to consider it is a job. And yeah. you certainly deserve a weekend. Yeah. So, well, and what I've discovered is that um, the the act of sitting down at the keyboard and typing um, is not e exactly writing. Um, and and by what I mean by that is that writing happens even when you're not sitting at the keyboard. So, try as you might to take a weekend off. A lot of times, the story is still working itself out in your in your mind. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you wake up sometime and go, oh, yeah. And yeah. You better get up and write it down because you'll never remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have some friends that are like, I, I never write anything down because if it's a great idea, it'll be there tomorrow. Well, not in my case. I've had brilliant ideas that, yes. <laughs> you know, I can't reach out and grab it again. You, uh, my brain, if I don't write it down, it says it's not an important idea and it just goes right, right. out the door. So, um uh, obviously that if you if that's the way your brain works that's fine but sure sure mine not so much um the last time we talked christina um you 
you told us about how you broke into writing and, um, you know, you had a child, if I remember right. And, you know, how difficult what I think it started with your first child and you're like, oh, how difficult can be taking care of a child. You know, I'll write a novel while I, yeah, you know, exactly. and, and we all know how that turned out. Your <laughs> stupidity. I mean, honestly, um, children are a lot of work. I'm, I'm breaking the news to everybody here. And so, <laughs> so you're, you're not going to probably do a lot of other things other than raise a child. Right. Uh, and, and so many other people are raising children and having another job and trying to write a book. And so you have to salute them. My, my goodness. So. Right. Um, looking back now, um, how many years ago has it been since you, you've put out 60 novels or so? How, how long did it take you to get to this point? I, I'm, I've been published for 33 years. Wow. Wow. 30, 33 years on February 3rd. But who's counting? But who's counting? You know, um, oh, how many how many things have changed in in publishing and writing? And and I separate publishing and writing. Um, you know, the technology of writing has changed uh, a lot. Uh, you know, word processors and writing programs are, you know, uh, just amazing now. Um, you know, when, when I first started writing short stories, I was mostly writing longhand and, right. you know, that sort of thing. Um, but has the publishing industry changed a lot in, in that amount of time? The yeah, publishing industry has totally changed. And what changed it, of course, was self-publishing. Um, once people got to the point where they could publish books on as ebooks and on Amazon or um, uh, Barnes and Noble or wherever, that, that changed the whole complexion of publishing right. and um, you've got traditional publishing now and, and self-publishing and you get some really great books both ways. So um, it's, it's been, it's been fascinating. And where 20 years ago, I could have told you, I, I knew almost everything about publishing. I don't know anything. <laughs> don't ask me. Right. <laughs> Writing. I was always, I always had a computer. I always, you know, I mean, it was yeah. very early computer. Don't, don't get me wrong. Really yeah. Yeah. big and everything, but um, I've always written on a computer. So that's been the easy way to do it. Gotcha. Um, what, when you first broke into writing, what was, what was the genre um, that, that you were writing in? Um, when I started writing, I was reading a lot of romance. I, I, I still read a lot of romance. I like sure. romance. And I read a lot of genre fiction of, of all kinds. And so I started writing, first I wrote a historical romance and I just labored on that for six years. Mm. I don't even know how many words I had, 200,000, something ridiculous. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and if you really want to have a really good laugh, it was a historical romance set in Guatemala. So that one didn't sell. And um, so then I, I I liked all kinds of writing. And so I yeah. next contemporary romance that one didn't sell either and then i wrote another historical romance and that was my first sold book but the first two you know you have to learn how to write yeah. and i was i was a draftsman i was not a creative writing major or anything like that and so i those are my two learn learning books and people say would you ever publish them and it's like oh no no no, no. <laughs> oh. What's what's interesting is I'll talk to people that, like you, have a couple of novels that they, as you said, learned to write on uh, and and, you know, went through the whole process, learned how to get from beginning to end. 
you know, maybe that one didn't didn't do the trick. So you write another one. And then there are other people who write a novel and it's not great, but they go back and revise that novel and they revise and they revise and they revise until that one does sell. Um, What do you think the difference in those two mindsets are? Um, You know, work on this until it becomes sellable versus starting in in another vein altogether. Um, I think it's, I think you're, you can certainly do that and work on it and work on it. And I did, obviously, six years old. Yeah. I certainly did. Well, sure. But, um, some, at some point, you have to say, no, it's time to move on. And I, and I certainly did. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of really good ideas. And through my career, as I was, I mean, after I was published, I was rejected many times. You know, sure. I put in an idea to an editor and they'd say, no, we don't want that. And, you know, once you've got a level of success, you're not supposed to have that happen. But it doesn't work that way. And um, you just you just say, OK, and you move on. You always put the ideas away. You never... You never throw an idea away. And mm. the thing about that is it frequently comes back in a different form or you get a chance with a different editor who likes it and, and you get to write what you want. It, is there such a thing as a bad idea that, you know, maybe this idea just doesn't work and it's just never going to work and you just put that away and try another idea? Ideas. Yeah. I think you could have bad ideas. I, I, but that's a matter of opinion, too. If you're writing literary, what's a bad idea in genre fiction is probably a good idea in literary. Um, but you can, I have read books where I thought it was a wonderful idea, a great idea, and um, they didn't do it well, in my opinion. And I go, I'm going to take this good idea and I'm going to write it my way and I'll make it good. And I, you know, I make myself happy with it. And, and, um, so that's, that's usually a saleable book. Looking back over your back catalog, um, it looks like you have mostly written in series, um, in, mostly. in the past. Yeah. Mostly. Is, is there, uh, is there something, uh, enticing about writing in a series versus writing standalones? I, I know some people that have written 50 standalones and they're, in no way connected. And each time you start a new book, it's, you know, going back to the drawing board. Um, is there something exciting uh, about writing in series and taking this idea and stretching it out? It's for, of course, as a writer, it's easier if you create a world, which I, you know, I'm in Gothic right now. It's, it's yeah. a town and we have the same characters. And um, so it's easier for me, but the main reason I do it, and believe me, I would do it differently if I needed to. Um, readers like it. Readers like the familiarity of being in the same word, world. It's makes It highlights the story that you're telling rather than the characters. And um, that's, that's really important uh, to make the reader comfortable, to make them happy. Uh, that's why Regency is so popular. You know, if you look at at Bridgerton, people yeah. love it. They know the world. They don't have to worry about what the people are dressed like. They know what it is. They know what the manners are. They know what's expected of people. And it makes the reader happier. Yeah. Uh, with like Regency uh, at Bridgerton, if you see a certain costume, 
then you kind of understand the uh, yeah. kind of the values of the world and the social structure. And there's a lot of things that that come with that. Yes. That as the writer, you don't have to explain. The reader kind of brings that with them. Yes. Um, I I started writing um, a series of a, a, a bunch of years back. I created a fictional town um, in the Mississippi Delta, and I wrote a bunch of stories in this town, and they seem yeah. to not be connected, but to me, they are connected because they're they all reside in this place, in the um, world, in, in 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 this world, and in my mind, I can tell you all the connections between all of these characters, right. and you know, if you read them, you may not pick up on it, but but I do, um, okay. and I get that same feeling from Gothic uh, in in your latest series. Is is that kind of it, what you're doing there? Yes, it's comfortable. I want I want people to read the story. I don't want them yeah. to worry. The, the window dressing and and at the same time you also want i love i love a good quirky character and yes Gothic is loaded with those and um so it's fun for the reader um and and forget what you know i created first of all a hero is a former pro wrestler so that was a lot of fun and then um his mother was just the crankiest old woman in the world the story is about a divorced couple who are being forced back together and both mothers just did everything they could to screw up that marriage. And they have both realized they've made a terrible mistake. So you have, you see the cranky old woman coming in to make amends. She's still cranky. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she's a lot of fun. She's a favorite reader character. I love it. So when you, um, when it's time to start a new book, um, what is, you know, if, if we're, if we're talking about a, a series that you've already created the world for how do you start figuring out what this story is going to be what what are the elements that you pull in that kind of set the stage it's it's all it's all suspense um one of the elements that i love and that people readers love is amnesia and i frequently use it you can use it as and forget what you know that she is she's taken away her mother takes her away from her home at four, when she's four years old and, and her mother says forget what you know and of course at four years old that's really easy to do so she honestly has no idea what her background is um in the book before that i simply had someone who was hurt very badly who had forgotten everything and you can play with the types of amnesia um but it makes it a very interesting story if someone knows they're in danger and at the same time doesn't know why yeah um, Gothic is a fictional town, correct? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, what are you, you play with a lot of different elements in these books? We've got a, there's a touch of treasure hunt. There's a touch of um, psychological suspense. There's there's a little bit of otherworldliness. You know that you you're you're expecting something weird to happen, and 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 I don't expect to be able to explain it. You know, there, there's a bit of those elements. Right. Um, what, what would you, how would you describe if you had to put this in, in a bookshelf in the bookstore, uh, which I know your, your books are, but if you were shelving them and not your publisher, where would you say this, this book lives? It, you know, you're either going to go romance, romantic suspense, or you're going to go pure suspense. It is, because I've written romantic suspense, so I do know yeah. the difference. Um, you can have a relationship in suspense, but that's not what the dominant 
story is. And and forget what you know is is more dominantly suspense, um, and and very you know a lot of characters. And the focus is of course on the heroine and then on the hero. But there's just too much other stuff to be going on to be calling it romantic suspense. Um, so I I'd go suspense, but. The other worldly now, it's simply an element that's a lot of fun. The other yeah. thing that makes people not consider me serious suspense is that I have a lot of humor in my books and people laugh quite a lot. So, yes. And, and I was going to bring that up in a minute because, um, this, this idea of levity, um, it, okay. it, you know, it, you, you could say that it's, um, can become dismissive for serious suspense readers, you know, wh whatever that is. Um, but it almost, um, when you add this element of levity, it almost makes the suspense more suspenseful. Um, exactly. Because when you, when you give the reader um, a chance to let their adrenaline come down and feel safe because yeah. that, that laughter makes you feel yeah. safe. And then you you hit them again. It's almost twice as impactful. Yes, um, exactly. is, is that on purpose? Oh yes. I uh, what Buffy the Vampire Slayer was out what twenty years ago, a long time ago. But that was they were the ones that taught me that very clever trick was because it was so amazingly funny. You just roar yeah. with laughter, and then the monsters would come, and it was just twice as bad. And so yes, I think that really creates. It, it creates the contrast to make the horrors more horrible, the suspense, yeah. suspenseful. And it's, um, it's, I, and plus I just think that life is funny. So might yeah. as well. <laughs> you might as well laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the character of Zoe. Where, where did she come from? Oh, she was, um, she's a comp, she's a complex character. You know, she has a lot of memories for sure. That understand, but she also has a, this touch of magic. She is, um, Okay, when I started conceiving the story, I had to have a character who could stay in Gothic and uh, make her living there. And so I went onto Facebook because I frequently do this with my readers and say, okay, if you work from home, and this was during COVID, uh, mm -hmm. if you work from home, what do you do? What have you been able to do from your home? And the answers were so fascinating. I mean, I got a list of stuff that people do from home that was just wonderful. But one person said, I'm a flower breeder. I propagate new kinds of flowers. And I was at the time reading a book called Flower Confidential. And I went, bingo. And so that's what the character of Zoe is. She's very connected to the earth. She's very connected to flowers. And she actually has kind of a magical touch with them. And um, so it, that was that adds that element of the unusual to the story, I think, and um, and really a lot of interest. I love it. Um, are you uh, are you a planner? Uh, are you a pantser? Where 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 would you fit in? in oh that? no, I definitely I'm I I have friends Susan Elizabeth Phillips Jane and Kranz. They are they just start sit down and start writing and I'm like I don't even know how you do it. I would be frozen with fear if I did that. <laughs> that I would get you know eighty thousand words into it and wouldn't know how to finish it. So I I I know where I'm going. I don't. You know, I no longer write in a linear manner. That has gone out the door. Yeah. Uh, I normally write about half of the book now, and then I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so I go and I write the end of the book, which I always know what that is. And yeah. 
by the time I'm done with the end of the book, with the climax and the wrap up of the characters, I always know what to do between to connect the two. And, and that's how I'm writing now. Don't ask me in five years what I'll be doing. I don't know. <laughs> do you know the end from the beginning or do you discover know. the end as you're. I know what the end is. Are you asking me, do I know who the bad guy is? No, that's usually a surprise. I set up my suspects. Yeah. And about halfway through, I kind of know who it is. But, um, or, and, I, and I frequently change my mind. So when people say I knew right away, I'm thinking, well, good for you, because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> With, do, you, um, do you write out your plan, or is this just a system of kind of knowing and holding that in your brain? I have a lot of, no, no, I don't hold, I told you, I already said that. I don't hold anything in my brain. <laughs> I, 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 I write out a plan for the, for the story, and I clear it through my editor, too. I always make sure that they are willing to accept that particular story. And then I write a, a lot of notes and this, I continue writing out notes the entire time I'm writing the book. This idea of submitting a, a plan uh, to your editor um, and kind of working out the story ahead of time before writing. Um, that's uh, I'm, I'm hearing that more and more from writers that, that there there's a collaborative effort with their editors beforehand oh, yeah. um it is that a a new thing uh or no 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 30 no no that you know you when i started in publishing and it was only new york publishing at the time yeah. uh you had to i mean i had they didn't know what i could do they didn't know whether i was going to be good for more than one book because frequently people are only got one book in them right. and so yeah i had to turn in i my ideas and, and talk about it with the editors the editors it depends on the editor how invested they are in the story and um but in the end it's it's going to be what i want and not you know not what they want i'm i'm I, I edit very well. Don't get me wrong. I, I, if I think it's a good idea and they've come out, they're not editors for nothing. They usually have great ideas. Yeah. But um, in the end, if we're arguing about it, I'm, I'm the winner. I'm the author. Does having a good working relationship with an editor um, help to keep on a, uh, a pretty um, predictable publishing schedule? Uh, you know, you hear some writers that, you know, there's six years between novels and, uh, you know, and most people put out a novel a year and, you know, or, or something similar to that, that does having that good working relationship ensure that the, yes. the train stays on the tracks. Absolutely. It makes sure that you're scheduled in the, to the publishing industry and, and yes. And, but you know, the good thing about that too, is if you're, if they're not able to schedule you often enough, um, now you can self-publish something. And I do, I've, you know, I've got uh, short stories and novellas that I put out that to put in, to fill in the gaps between books. So, so people have got something to read and they remember me. Yeah. Your, your books tend to um, revolve around a mystery uh, of sorts. And like you said earlier that you have a, a, a series of suspects in mind and, and you've written them. And then as you write it, you kind of figure out who, who done it, um, so to speak. Um, does uh, do all of your books kind of work in that way that that you that there's a mystery uh, at the core of it that that you have to solve as you write it? Every one of them. I every historical romance, every paranormal romance, every romantic suspense, every suspense 
everything has a mystery. Everybody, I, that's that. I don't know how to write a book other than that. I have to have some kind of plot. There has to be something going on underneath that that the hero and heroine, or the heroine or the hero, has to figure out. And that's an, and, you know, but that for me is how to write a book. I you know, and I know people who can actually write um, books solely on emotion, and I, I I salute them. But I don't know how to do it. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned um, the difference in uh, suspense with a romance uh, versus a romantic suspense. Yeah. Um, for for people that that don't understand where some of these genre lines fall, what's the difference in? Well, okay, it, you know, you these things constantly change all the time. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Um, the uh, Romantic suspense is basically you have a very intense relationship between a hero and heroine who are probably divided by what's occurred in as the suspense progresses, or they both have different goals. Um, with a suspense with romance, that's you could actually pull the suspense that suspense out of the story and you'd still have a really good suspense. Um, but it wouldn't be as interesting. <laughs> people like people like a relationship of some kind. You yeah. either have a suspense with a lot of friends, or um, Deanna Rayborn just did one called um, "Assassins." No, "Killers of a Certain Age," and it's about a group of female assassins, and that's the relationship. Is it's about these longtime friends who are assassins, and. Um, it, it's a suspense. It's a great one. And it's not necessarily male, female or male, male or female, female. It's not romantic. It's just friendship. And that's terribly important too. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time that it, I don't care what genre you're writing in, read a little bit of romance because there, there are so many thrillers that I've read um, that really could, could use some better relationship storylines, you know, read a little outside your genre and see yeah. what you could bring into from, from, you know, see what other people are doing really well and try to bring some of that in. It's, it's never hurt anybody. Before I was published, I worked in a bookstore and I, you know, basically you found out what people liked and, and my, you know, we just read widely. We had to, we were recommending books to people and it's, it's like, that's the thing to do. I, yeah. uh, read every genre, even if you don't like it, check it out occasionally and see if your tastes have changed, which certainly happens, but right. we'll just learn something that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we got a great question from Paula who says, what made you realize that your stories all needed a mystery? Do you read or watch mostly mysteries? Well, not mysteries, but suspense. And there's a difference there too. Please don't ask me to define that one. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I that I just that's what I yeah it is what I read it's always what I read. Um, they always have to have that backbone, and I can read women's fiction or fiction that is simply about relationships. But I am not as propelled to read those books. That's not the ones I pick up from. If you read the back copy, you know it's not what I pick up. I, I tend to read. I want I want that bit of suspense in there. And there's just almost every book that you read. Some people are very successful with that relationship book, but most books, I think, have a suspense plot of some kind. Gotcha. Um, forget What You Know, is this the third book in, in this series? 
I, the first no novel is Point Last Seen. The second, I wrote a novella. I went crazy. Okay. I had no idea what was. I, I just I had an idea for, for a story, and so I wrote a twenty thousand word novella. It is out now in uh, as an audiobook exclusive, and it will go okay. into book eventually. Gotcha. And then, um, then forget what you know. Um, how do you know when a series has reached its end or you know has fulfilled its potential? Um, you know, you've written a number of, of series that run six, eight books long or so, yeah, yeah. And, and then you start a new series. How do you know when that has kind of lived its life? I can actually, I could probably keep one series going forever, especially if it is not about the people, but it's about the place. Um, I, I really love those place series, but um, sometimes you just move on. The next book is fit. The next suspense is finished. I'm calling it um, never go home again, whether or not the publisher will call it never go home again. I don't know. It'll be out next. next That's month. a whole different yeah, it is a whole discussion in it. Yeah. 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 But um, it'll be out next March. And this one, Gothic is not the main setting, but it does make a guest appearance. So um, it, I, it's just, it's, it's a nice place to visit. I think. I love it. I love it's it. Kind of like I, if you like Tolkien, you'd like to visit Middle Earth occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I hope um um I I hope that you stay in Gothic for forever. I I love this setting and and I hope that uh that you stay there as long as possible. The new book is called Forget What You Know. Christina, I know you've got other things to do today, so thank you for joining us. Uh we're going to put links to uh, this book in the show notes to make it easy for folks yeah. to find it's out in uh, uh, hardback and uh, Kindle and audiobook, oh, ebook and audiobook and uh, hardcover and paper, trade paperback. And, okay. and yes, absolutely. Trade paperback and hardback at the same time. Yeah. Well, I yeah. sell very well to libraries. And so it's a, it's that That's library awesome. market that they are aiming that hardcovers up to. That's awesome. That's and then awesome. Um, please come to my website, christinadodd.com, and sign up for my newsletter. I, you'll you'll enjoy it. I actually get fan mail for my newsletters. I love it. I love it. Christina, thank you so much for taking time to come on and join us today. Thank you. Great to see you, Hank. I hope to see you again soon. Absolutely. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.